Uh, and I'd like to invite Amber, who's going to come up and do a reading for us this morning. Who's got the clicker? Has anyone got the clicker? Oh, yeah. I'll take it because I need it. The readings from Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Thanks, Amber. I'm just going to pray as we start. Father God, we thank you that you have called us to be your people. You have called us to a new life in you. And you have called us as part of that to live uh, in community, in fellowship with one another, in what you call the church. So Father, as I speak this morning, and as we share where we're going in the year ahead, Lord, we ask that you would be the one to move us in our hearts. You would be the one to continue to direct and to guide us. We humbly submit to your spirit, and we ask that you would take these words and do the work within our hearts that we need to hear. Thank you, Father. Amen. I had a conversation with someone the other day who declared, I believe in God, I just don't need to go to church. You don't need to go to church to believe in God. Now that is true. In many senses, you can believe in God without going to church. But this passage of Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus um, gives the metaphor of the church being like a body of Jesus. Trying to be a Christian without deep involvement with other Christians is like part of a body not being attached. And we all know what happens to your body if it gets disconnected to the rest of you. Graham's got a story who he he might share later about someone who chopped all his fingers off and what happened to those fingers. I'm not going to share that because I'm sure you can imagine it, but he might. Um, Anyway, so if you're going to grow it all in your faith and fulfil the calling of Christ, you do need to be part of a church family. And not just an occasional nominal attender but deeply connected and involved. And if you aren't involved in a church community or a fellowship, as we prefer to refer it to here, you will stay a spiritual baby, tossed here and there, vulnerable, and you may lose your faith 
And this morning, we're going to look at why this is the case. We're going to look at why we, why we go to church as Christians, why it requires more of us than a simple attendance. We're doing a series at the moment, as some of you will know, on Christian practices, because some of the things that we do as Christians might seem a bit strange to those who are not from church background. Last week, uh, Mickey spoke about baptism. In the weeks ahead, we're going to continue uh, talking about communion, confession, why we have a different attitude to money. I'm not going to tell you what week that one is, otherwise you might not come. Um, And uh, this week, we are looking at church. Why do we come to church? I'm sure many of us would rather stay in bed and have a sleep in. And after I have unpacked this passage in Ephesians, which will be a hopefully slightly shorter sermon than usual, we're going to look at us here at Abide Church and what we are looking forward to in the next year. To conclude, we're going to hear from some of the others here who are involved in various ministries, uh, which build towards the vision that our church is heading towards. So that's the roadmap for the morning. All clear? Cool. So Paul, keep your Bibles open, um, because we're going to be referring to this passage obviously a lot. Paul starts this section with the call to live the life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, we never want to read this passage in isolation. What is this calling? When we look previously in that book, in chapter 2, we can see that the calling is a life, is to live a life in Christ. The call to be a Christian. What is a Christian? Paul writes that we were dead in our sinful nature, our sinful self that wanted to do life our own way. But we have been invited into the life of Christ. We have been made alive in him and take him taking the throne of our hearts. And as Christians, we've made a decision to live to the beat of his drum. And not only that, but his spirit is what enables us to do this. It comes inside us. I had a very cute conversation with Anya the other day. She's trying to get her head around God living inside her. And I, we, the rain, it was raining. And I said, oh, God's watering, watering the ground. And, you know, trying to make it kind of cute. And she's like, no, he's not in the sky. He's in my heart. It was so cute. <laughs> When we accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour of our lives, when we become Christian, we invite his spirit to fill us and we become alive in a way that we never have been before. We recognise that we are sinful by nature and we need and have accepted his salvation. And living in this way is honestly the only truly fulfilling way to live. And our new relationship with Jesus, as Paul says in this passage, is like the relationship between a body and a head. As Paul says in verse 15, Christ is the head and we are the body. Now, a head is never attached to a body, just simply attached. Unless, as someone said, you might be Frankenstein. The head and the body are integrally connected with nerves and muscles, and the whole unit moves together. The head may decide what the body does, but they share the same lifeblood. And this is like what happens to us when we are Christians at a spiritual level. We become joined in a new relationship with Jesus. And that same life, the same spirit of God that is in Jesus is also in us. That's actually really incredible. The God of the universe who made the stars and the cosmos, the God who is infinitely so huge that we can't even get our brains around it, comes to dwell in our hearts. His, His spirit comes to live in us. And that's just absolutely amazing. And as Paul says, we, we are called to one life force, one God and one Father of all, the Father of Jesus and the Spirit in Jesus. That same Spirit and Father is in us. It's just amazing. And as Tim Keller says, what makes you a Christian is not that you're just a nice person or that you're a moral person or that you believe the Bible. That's all true, of course, but what makes you a Christian is you have this life 
of God in you. And that means never thinking of Christianity as just a way of life. Many people who do not know God, who are not Christians, think that Christianity is just a way of life. Um, yeah, there's the quote. Thanks, Graham. <laughs> we do not, as some Eastern religions declare, we do not become God, we do not become part of God, and we are not small gods. Uh, but we have his spirit come and dwell within us and bring us to a level of life that we were designed for, part of his family that is subconsciously and sometimes actually very consciously um, we, are, we become aware of that deep desire and longing that we have. And as St. Augustine says, um, said many years ago, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I had a friend who um, realised many years ago that he had a hole in his life that he couldn't seem to fill. He tried all sorts of Eastern religions and meditations, some normal stuff, some very bizarre stuff. He tells a hilarious story of some religious ceremony where he got stroked over with feathers, his whole body, don't, don't get it, but anyway. Um, but it wasn't until he encountered Jesus that he really felt fulfilled for the first time. He felt like he had come home, as he described it. And when the life of God met his need, he realised he was no longer restless and searching. And this is the invitation, this is the calling that Paul says we have all been called to. Now when Paul writes to live a life worthy of that calling, and he describes it as being um, completely humble, gentle, patient, and sharing, bearing with each other in love. How many of us suddenly feel totally insufficient? <laughs> Can any of us genuinely say we are there yet? Of course not. And it's humbling to admit that there is a big distance between what we are called to and what we are, what we are at now. And if we don't understand that distance, we'll end up convincing ourselves that uh, we are living our life completely when everyone else we see is not. The wonderful truth of God's Spirit coming into us and making us aware and bringing us into life doesn't automatically make us a mature Christian who is able to live lives worthy of his calling. We're actually born as spiritual infants. We have this incredible power of God in us, but we're like spiritual babies who need to grow up. We need to grow in maturity. And as Peter writes um, in his letter, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through resurrection Jesus Christ. And later in the same letter he says, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that you may grow up in your salvation. Now babies are not meant to stay babies, are they? They're meant to grow up, just as we are meant to grow up spiritually. I know a bit about babies, and that's since I've had three fairly recently. And they're really cute when they're born. And we relish those newborn snuggles and snuffles. But it's not so cute if they stay that way. We look for development. We celebrate milestones. We send pictures to everyone and anyone who is interested. We watch for evidence of growth. Can you imagine having an eternal baby? We would all die from sleep deprivation. And spiritually, we are the same. We are not meant to stay babies. It's okay to start there. And to be honest, we have to start there. But we must never expect to stay there. And in this passage... Paul is telling us we must not stay spiritual babies. We must, otherwise we will be tossed back and forth by the waves. We blow in here and there by every wind of teaching. What does he mean by this? Well, let's think a little bit for a moment what babies are like to help us understand what Paul is saying. There are many things I could say about babies, but I'm just going to do three today. Firstly, they are not discerning. Here's a picture of one of my children who has a mouthful of sand. They do not know what is good for them and what is not. They put everything in their mouths, good, bad, or toxic. 
They can't discern what is good and they can't discern what is not. And as parents, we have to help them learn. And perhaps the most disgusting moment of our whole parenting journey so far, one of our children crawled over to their sibling's dirty nappy and proceeded to put a fistful of poo in their mouth. I can't tell you how disgusting it was fishing that out with my finger. The next day, that same child was discovered playing with a dead mouse. And I'm sure part of that went into uh, her mouth too. And on both occasions, I was actually not in charge of the baby or child. I just want to say that. (laughs) I did come and intervene, but anyway. (laughs) And it wasn't Graham on both occasions, just one. Um, (laughs) Graham's a wonderful father. I'm going to dig myself a hole here. Anyway, that child could clearly not discern what was good for them and what was not. And as they have grown and matured, they do have much more of an idea about what's Okay, thank goodness uh, they don't eat poo anymore. Um, But they still have a long way to go. They will still choose ice cream over broccoli. And as new Christians, we too can lack discernment. We need to grow up and mature so that we don't take anything and everything into our hearts and minds. There are many false teachings out there. And if we lack discernment, we will take anything and everything into our hearts and be swayed here and there by stuff that is not healthy for us. And it does not align with what we know of God and his purposes. And at this church and in our diocese, the larger body we are part of, we firmly believe that God reveals himself and the way we are to live through the biblical scriptures. They tell us the way we are to live as his body, over and above what culture tells us, what is popular, what might feel good. And this is why we preach from scripture each week. As we mature, we can begin to discern and recognise teachings where there are actually agendas and mistreatment of Scripture. And as Paul says in verse 14, those who are crafty and cunning, who have their deceitful schemings, teach either based not on scriptural truths or Scripture that has been twisted to suit their agenda. Now, As we preaching team come to the Scripture, we always try to come with humility, praying that God will illuminate God's Spirit will illuminate the text for us and with an openness to hear what the Lord might be saying to us. As physical babies lack discernment over what is good to eat, we can lack discernment. And we need to mature in our faith so that we are not swayed by appealing and palatable teaching that is not actually grounded in God's Word. So the second thing, babies are selfish and very self-centred. What they want, they want now. There is little to no patience. When my babies woke up and they were hungry, I couldn't just say, oh, just give me 10 minutes to finish my coffee or I'm just going to finish my page of my book and then I will... I mean, I haven't read a book in years, let's be honest. Um, They wanted food then and there and they really ramped up very quickly if they didn't get it. Some of the other mothers in this room will be nodding their heads. Now, my job as as a mum is to teach my children that there are other people in our family and in the world and that their selfish needs and wants are not always able to be met in that instant. Or they actually may not be appropriate wants and needs. And as spiritual babies, we can be selfish too. We can be very focused on ourselves. We can go to church with the attitude of, what can I get out of it today? Or how is this place meeting my needs? Or how are these people treating me? Why am I being treated like that? We can be easily offended. If my needs are front and centre but do not are not met in the church service, I will leave. I don't like the way things are done. I can't take criticism correction. If my my needs are not being met, I'm going to ramp up and leave. And to become spiritually mature is to become outward focused. It's to come to serve the other. It's to come to look out for the other. 
It's to realise that our needs are not front and centre. To be able to take criticism without a judge, without, without, sorry, a grudge. To forgive and to let go easily. And in Paul's words here, to be completely humble and gentle towards others, putting their needs above your own with gentleness. Being patient, bearing with one another in love. To be, help, to be helping bring unity in the church, not division or disunity. To be serving, to be involved for the sake of the growth of the whole body, not just turning up to get your own needs met in the way you want to sing or worship God. So babies are not discerning, they are, not, they are self-centred, and thirdly, babies want stimulation but have no stickability. Any parent here will know that the toys that the parents universally hate the most, the ones that are loud and shiny and that play terrible music, are also the ones that the kids love the most. But usually they sit still only for a short attention span, ready to move on to the next thing. This is one of the most frustrating things I have found in raising um, preschoolers. I, f- I spend half an hour setting up something fun and interactive for the kids. It's messy. It takes work. They last 10 minutes playing or painting, whatever it is, creating a complete mess, and then they decide that they want to do something else. And then it takes me half an hour or longer to clean up after them. And I'm like, why did I bother? When we are spiritually immature, we can be the same. We only want what stimulates, what excites. We only want to be involved in ways that feel good. And as Eugene Peterson puts it, one of the wisest men I know, we are mature when we have walked along obedience in the same direction. He's actually written a book called that. And in that book, Along Obedience in the Same Direction, he writes, Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. Many claim to have been born again, but the evidence for mature Christian discipleship is slim. In our kind of culture... Anything, even news about God, can be sold if it is packaged freshly. But when it loses its novelty, it goes on the garbage heap. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians call holiness. When we stick at it, when we serve even when it feels mundane or boring... When it costs us, even when you get no recognition, you're actually maturing and growing. You're growing up from a spiritual baby into a more spiritual, mature person. So just as physical babies are born selfish, they're non-discerningly selfish and desiring stimulation with no stickability, we can be like that in our own spiritual selves. We need to grow up. We need to reach our milestones. So how do we do this? How do we mature beyond being a spiritual baby? Well, Paul says here in this passage that it's by the grace of God alone, firstly, and throughout that grace, he gives us the body of Christ, the fellowship of believers. We grow up in a spiritual family. That is what the church is. This is why we come to church. Just as a human baby can't hope to grow on its own, if it's born and then just left alone, it's going to die, isn't it? It needs to be nurtured and fed and encouraged, cared for, raised in a family to do the best maturing possible to grow into the balanced adult that it is intended to become. And so are spiritual babies. We're born into this new family of God. We're raised in the church. We are nurtured. We are fed. We are encouraged. We are cared for to do the best maturing possible, to grow into the mature, balanced Christian we are supposed to be. Some of you will have heard of the coal analogy. If you take a coal, a burning coal out of a fire, 
and you put it to the side, it's only it's going to extinguish, isn't it? Away from the heat of the rest of the coals. And this is why we will die if we decide that we're going to believe in God without being part of the family, without being part of the body of Christ. And this is why we come to church. This is why the church exists. And you know what? It's messy. We're going to annoy each other because we're all spiritual babies. <laughs> if, Paul, if Paul himself, the apostle, calls him spiritually immature, then we're all spiritual infants. We're only hours old compared to him. This has actually been a helpful, incredibly helpful realisation for me to discover, thanks to Tim Keller. In the past, I have to admit, I have been shocked at the spiritual immaturity of some people in the church. None of you here, of course. Watching people... <laughs> no, I, I mean it. I mean, honestly, every, every time I have been to church, in years gone by, you know, there are people who hurt each other. There are people who offend one another. There are people who are spiritually immature, even if they've been Christian for years. Um, that, but it's because we're a church full of babies, we're all going to annoy each other. We're just like kids. We shouldn't get surprised that we see immaturity. And we need to have grace for one another, for any hope of unity as we're called to have. But the other thing that we must realise is that while we can expect to find spiritual immaturity in others, we must not settle to stay spiritually immature ourselves. As Paul says right here in verse 13, the purpose of the church is to equip us so that we become built up, reaching unity in the faith, in the knowledge of Jesus, all to become mature like Christ. And then we won't be tossed around like babies. We will be able to discern what's good for us. We will be able to walk securely in our faith when it gets hard, when tough times won't rock us to the core, and we will have the steadfastness that nothing else can give us. So just as our lives as parents are to provide a nurturing environment for babies to grow and develop in the church, our role is to provide that nurturing environment for all of us here to grow. And at Abide, we take these words of Paul seriously. To become mature, as Paul says, we need to know the person of Christ. And as I said before, our preaching team are committed to presenting to you faithfully the word of God, ourselves sitting under the text in humility and prayer to help us all become mature. And in the year ahead, we're going to be looking at books both in the Old and the New Testament. And I hope to do a six-week series looking at the whole story of Scripture, one big massive arc. The preaching team will continue to get more equipped and trained so that we can open the Scriptures humbly, faithfully, in integrity, so that you can grow in your knowledge of Christ. To become mature, we all need to be in unity as the body of Christ. Three times in this passage, Paul speaks about unity, which is not humanly possible, let's be honest apart from the power of Christ, the bond of peace through his spirit, which we all share. And unity means to be working together, not pulling in different directions. And a well-functioning body operates together. When I'm walking, it is not just my feet that do the walking. My legs move my feet, my arms keep the balance, my torso keeps me breathing so that I can walk, my heart pumps to bring oxygenated blood to my limbs so that they can do their function, my eyes and inner ears inner ear balancing system feeds back to my brain to keep me upright and walking in the right direction. Now such a simple activity of walking involves my whole body. A body is just not a foot or a hand. It is a whole functioning body of many parts. And the church requires every part to be in use. I might be bringing a sermon, but we need the chairs and the tables to be set up, the music to be played, the hospitality team to be serving. Otherwise, no one would come and I would be preaching to an empty room. And that would not be a sermon. 
I would not be building up the body. I would not be serving my purpose. And similarly, if the hospitality turned up, but there was no one to preach, it would just turn into a coffee date, which would be fun, but we wouldn't be growing as the body of Christ. We all have an important part to play. And Paul says right here that from him, that is Christ, the whole body is joined and held together. Every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up. Each part does its work. So to summarise, we are called to live an amazing life with Christ. But when we come into this new life, we are born as babies. We need to grow and mature. And God has given us his body, the church, the family of Christians, as a place for us to grow up so that we can become like him. How are we doing this at Abide? Well, our very name, Abide, comes from the passage in John 15, which recognises that we can only function and grow as the people of God when we abide in Christ. When we draw our strength, our lifeblood from Jesus as the head. He is the only reason we exist. He is the only reason we can keep functioning individually and as a body. And we understand the need to meet very seriously. We pray that you would see the reason for coming to church, not just as a mere religious obligation, or because we give a compelling presentation today, or because you like us, or because perhaps you don't, but you like something else about Abide. We pray that you would see it as vital to your spiritual growth, your health and well-being, not only individually, but also as the body of Christ. We all actually come to church, and as we grow, we actually also encourage others and help them to grow. In our family, if one of the kids decided to only turn up to meals every second or third day, it would drastically change our dynamic, our family dynamic. We need to come not just for our own spiritual needs, but also for the purpose of encouraging others. So, as I wrap up, how can you help with the growth of Abide? How can you be a functioning part of the body here? Well, we take the body of Christ metaphor very seriously. It's not just one or two of us functioning to become mature, but all of us are involved. So turning up is the first thing. It's wonderful when you come early, or at the very least on time. Uh, The music team make a lot of effort to structure the music in a way that leads us into the presence of the Lord to worship him. And it's really disheartening for them when people turn up late, both missing some of it and also being a distraction to them as they walk in the door. It's also helpful to think, what would it be like for someone visiting us when we turn up late? We talk a lot about wanting to be a welcoming place where anyone can visit. And we know it can take, you know what, a lot of courage for someone who's never been to a church or who, who is a Christian and does come to church but is perhaps visiting a new place, can take a lot of courage to walk into a strange place, into a foreign place. To drive to an empty car park and to walk in the door and there's only a couple of people here can be quite off-putting um, if they make it in the door at all. We want to be as welcoming as possible. So turning up regularly and on time actually goes a much longer way than you think. There you go. I've never said it before. I probably won't say it again. I've done it. (laughs) Secondly, consider helping to get involved in areas where you may not already be involved. We're always looking for people to set up, to serve in the hospitality ministry. There are actually so many ways that we need need more people, and we'll be hearing from a few people later. Thanks, Graham. You should have the clicker. (laughs) Thirdly, invite your friends. Reach out to others. We're not about growing in numbers for the sake of it. But many hands make light work. And I hope you will see, as we've identified in this passage today, we're about growing people in spiritual maturity. There are many people out there who are desperate to know the knowledge of Jesus Christ, desperate for connection, searching for a life that only Jesus can give them. There are many ways Christians 
There are many Christians who are wasting away in their faith because they're not part of a church and they're not being fed. Pray that God would put people in your path and then pray that he would give you the courage to invite them. It's, an, it's hard, I get it. But God will give you the opportunities. Bring kids along. Any kids. We'll check with your parents first. Give some parents a break and bring their kids. Sunday school is always so much more fun for kids when there are other kids. Kind of like puppies. When there's one puppy, they go crazy. When there's lots of puppies, they run around and have a good time. Becca and Louise have been doing an amazing work with the Sunday school curriculum, and it would be so wonderful to have the Sunday school boosted. Two more before I head over to, uh, hand over to Graham. Give financially. Now, we never talk about money here, mostly because we're Kiwis and we love to avoid the topic. Um, partly also because some of us have had bad experiences in churches where people have been coerced and emotionally manipulated into giving money. And I'm sure that wasn't their attention, but sometimes it feels like that. Also, God has blessed us so well financially, and we're not yet on the bones of our back as a church. Excuse the expression. But we do need money to operate. It's just a reality that there are costs that come with running a church. And we have visions of a more permanent place to call home, a place where we can provide ministry to other groups during the week and to support the local community in ways that we can't currently do. We're also hoping that Graham will be ordained at the end of next year. We hold these plans lightly, of course, because we always trust the Lord will lead us a step at a time and we can't usually see that far ahead. Uh, but we have started that formal process of ordination discernment. And if he does get ordained, we're hopeful that as a church we will be able to support him to work in a larger capacity. And obviously we need funds to do that. And finally, the last way you can help, from me anyway, is to pray. Please pray for our church community and for the community in which we are part of. We want to be a blessing to those around us and we continue to pray for opportunities to be able to bless them and show them God's love. So that's all from me. Graham's going to come up and share a little bit about our strategic plan.